Hello and welcome to Stern Chats. My name is Tiffany Lin. And I'm Melanie Gonzalez. Today, we spoke with Amanda Villarreal, a part-time MBA Langone student at Stern, who spoke to us about her journey to an MBA. Amanda, on top of being a part-time MBA, is also a business development manager at Frog Design, a global design innovation consulting firm that specializes in human-centered design. And Melanie and I had the great opportunity to talk to her about why the part-time Langone program let her have the best of both worlds. And with that, let's get started. From New York University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Amanda, welcome to the show. Hi, Tiffany. Thank you for having me. We're so excited to chat with you today about so many things, everything from your experience at Frog Design to your experience applying for the part-time program at Stern. But before we get into that, we usually like to start at the beginning and hear a little bit more about the personal side of all of our guests. So tell us a little bit more about your childhood. Where were you born? What was it like growing up? Right. Well, thank you. And, and Melanie, thank you for being here as well. Um, so my name is Amanda Villarreal. I am originally from Austin, Texas, which particularly in this pandemic has been blowing up. It's been blowing up for a while, but you know, if you've looked, if you've seen the New York Times articles about the housing market and all that, everyone from California, New York is running there right now. Um, I'm actually in California recording this and people have been like, wait, you did the opposite of what everyone's doing right now. All the Californians are going to Austin. I was like, yeah, you know, Austin tends to have that contrarian type of spirit, I guess. So I'm doing that. Um, but yes, yeah, so I'm originally from Austin, Texas. I was born and raised there. And um, I grew up in a family of five, pretty nuclear. Um, my parents actually grew up on the Texas-Mexico border. Uh, before that, my grandparents are actually from Mexico. So I'm technically second generation, but it's this interesting culture where um, and, you know, particularly because it's probably mostly people in, in New York and not necessarily from Texas listening to this, but there's a very kind of special border culture between Texas and Mexico that I think anyone from there could probably relate to where it's, you know, it's not quite Mexico. It's not quite, a, you know, full United States or it feels like because it's like all Mexicanos or Mexican-Americans or Tejanos or, you know, seventh generation Texans that that um, were there when Mexico was a part of the U.S., you know, all that. Um, and so the, um, so I grew up in this interesting culture between go, being in Austin, Texas, which is, you know, very metropolitan, uh, not as diverse, if you will, and then going back to Laredo, Texas, where most of my family was. So I had this kind of uh, dual upbringing between uh, being Mexican-American on the border and then being in Austin, Texas in predominantly white schools, predominantly white um, social circles, if you will, even though I did go to public schools there. Uh, my parents, they worked really hard. They were able to go to college, were the first ones in their family to do that. And then they worked really hard for my brothers and I to go to college. I'm, I'm an only girl middle child, which we can psychoanalyze later. Um, <laughs> My older brother is a doctor, my younger brother is an engineer, and then I became the wild card at a certain point. Um, and so I went to an arts academy growing up uh, called Mc Mc the McCallum Fine Arts Academy in Austin because I was always very creative when I was younger. So there are pictures of me at, you know, 
three years old holding like a sculpture or a painting or something like that I did in pre-K that my, my teachers would be like, oh my God, this is like so advanced for, for um, you know, her age. And so my parents like very much encouraged me in creativity at that point. And so that was a really big part of my upbringing was painting and drawing and I would do a lot of creative writing. And then I went to this arts academy and I was pretty much trained to go to art school. Um, so I went, I, I, now it's great because I work at Frog Design where I work with people who went to these top art schools. Um, but just being from an immigrant family, it was like, I can't go study art, you know, I need to, <laughs> there's different things I need to do. Like, I'm going to get paid for that. I don't know. Um, I just didn't, now I know you can, but back then I didn't. And, uh, through just my network at the Arts Academy, um, I had a, uh, I guess a peer who was a year older than me go to Williams College, uh, which I didn't know about. I was in Western Massachusetts, and I decided to apply to schools in the Northeast because my my brother was was already up there. Um, and I applied to Amherst College, not having seen it or anything. But um, I kind of had switched from you know looking at oh I'm going to study art to actually wanting to study psychology, and part of that came from just growing up in this kind of dual world between Austin. And um, the Texas-Mexico border, um, when I was growing up, was actually at the height of a lot of cartel violence on the border. Mm. And it was very much affecting just like the Mexican, like what it was to be Mexican-American in Texas at the time. Um, and, you know, I grew up seeing a lot of the poverty there. Like my parents grew up there with no running water and, and dirt floors and, um, you know, no indoor plumbing or anything like that. And so I saw a lot of these realities and I saw a lot of just the realities of what comes when you don't have a strong economy or you don't have a strong socioeconomic background. And so I had a lot of family members who um, were either had been locked up or were in rehab or were pregnant by the time they were 15 or, um, you know, were just not in good circles that I was very close to. You know, as an only girl, I, I my cousins were like my sisters and I was with them when you know, they had escaped abusive relationships or they, you know, were addicted to cocaine or something like that. And so while I was there making A's in my like arts academy and being this good student away, like on the weekends, I would hang out in a neighborhood that probably shouldn't have, you know? Um, and so I, and, and so why I studied psychology was because I saw so much pain from people close to me. And I thought the way you change that is through one-on-one -on -one interventions. Um, I was, mm -hmm. I was fortunate enough growing up in Austin, that I had an after school job at the Girls Empowerment Network there, which was, uh, you know, no, a social intervention for at risk girls, mostly Latinas. And um, I ran after school groups for them where I would do programming, anything from body image to being assertive to how to manage your time and do well academically. Um, and I worked with a bunch of social workers and I, I didn't really have any role models. Uh, when it came to what I wanted to do professionally, uh, just coming from a family that kind of just arrived in the US and was kind of just making it and, you know, had mostly been blue collar before that. And so I was working with these social workers. And I was like, oh, okay, so how you help people is becoming a social worker and you need to study psychology. Like that was the most that I knew <laughs> about what to do in my life. And so when I was looking at colleges, I saw that Amherst is, you know, one of their top five majors was psychology. And I was like, liberal arts, I go to an art school, I guess I'll apply there. It's the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing. People are artsy there, I'm artsy, I'm going to study psychology, and I'll become this psychologist focusing on like Latina adolescence, mm -hmm. because no one's talking about mental health at that time, when it came to intersectionality. Yeah. Um, I was particularly interested in like, uh, 
women's and, and girls focus of psychology. I wanted to be a therapist for, for Latina girls and eating disorders and actually did research on that in, in college. Um, but yes, I went to Amherst for four years in Western Massachusetts and I studied psychology, but then I actually did internships. I got about 800 hours of clinical experience um, in one internship when I was there of what it was to actually like, if you want to become a, a psychologist or social worker. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Um, so was so was the original goal to become, you know, you mentioned your brother was also in medicine. Was it to be in the medical field? And was that internship kind of what made you realize maybe I want to use my skill set in a different way? Or what was that kind of conversation like? Yeah. So I, I mean, I had no idea what careers were. I had no idea what job landscapes were. Like my older brother always knew he wanted to be a doctor and just went straight in pre-med then went straight into medical school. And I was like, well, that's not me. So <laughs> I, I didn't know anything about the healthcare space or anything, but I, I just worked with actual clinicians doing social work and uh, with adolescents. And I was just like, this doesn't feel like scalable the way I want to make an impact. And so um, when I was at Amherst and I definitely think, you know, my liberal arts institution for this is I, you know, it was a small school, very diverse. And I went to school with people who just had such different backgrounds and, and it expanded my horizon of what was possible. So I had friends who took off, uh, you know, a semester to go work for the Obama campaign and other people whose parents were PhDs and they were going to go work in DC after college. And so when I was at Amherst, I actually got really involved with running our, um, relationship with the girls tutoring and mentoring program and I just like really became in love with like you know running organizations and changing organizations and innovating particularly if they had social impact and so um I I just wanted to expand beyond that so after college I actually moved to DC to work for it was an organization called Girls Inc I worked for the public policy office I didn't know what public policy was but <laughs> but I worked, <laughs> um you know, labor arts. Did you kind of learn more about what that was once you once you started? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like my education at Amherst was very much, you know, let's teach you how to be an academic in a way. Um, mm -hmm. But then when we just, but when you were then like, I don't want to do that or become a lawyer or become <laughs> a medical doctor or go to Wall Process Street. Elimination. <laughs> you just you just jump and you start doing things. Uh, so so I moved to DC. Um, How did you find that role, the public policy role in DC? So I just went to the Girls Inc. website and because I, so I, I didn't write a psychology thesis because by the time it was my senior year, I was like, I don't want to go into academia. I don't want to do this research project. I, I did research in a university before and I also didn't like that. Um, <laughs> and so I actually wrote one on girls intervention programs, kind of like a case study off the program that I was helping run um, in Holyoke, Massachusetts. And I, I partnered with our Center for Community Engagement executive director. And it was kind of just like, I wrote this 120 page research paper that I kind of just drove on my own in partnership with the school. And I think it's like the one job I've applied for where I didn't already have a reference, but they were just like, well, this girl just wrote a whole thesis on us. So, so I think <laughs> for this job, um, it was like an internship at the time for like two months. But, but yeah, so that's how I got that. And like DC just, I, I've always, I think because I didn't grow up with like a family network that really set me up for, hey, here's this introduction to my friend, or you should talk to this person to get some insight. I kind of learned that I had to do that on my own. And so since I can remember, I've been a very natural networker. I'm very extroverted. 
And a lot of my job was going to, you know, committee meetings on Capitol Hill and different types of, um, you know, gatherings like that. And I just met a lot of people. So when I was in DC, after my internship was over, I was able to um, get a job as a lobbyist assistant for the American Association of University Women. Uh, so working on legislation with, for them. And then I worked as a paralegal because then I was thinking maybe I'll go to law school uh, for, for the Mexican American <laughs> Legal Defense and Educational Fund. Um, and again, those were just through connections I made. And I was able mm-hmm. to like, um, was able to talk my way into free housing somehow in DC, which is a different story. So I was able to like afford <laughs> um, And yeah, and that that's kind of was my 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 education of what it was to work in federal policy on these these you know macro issues that I saw kind of like the micro um, symptoms of growing up that I thought I needed to be a psychologist to to work on. But then working at the macro level, I was just like, this is so slow. Like working on federal policy or like mm-hmm. the long ter- the long game, I tend to be a very so you- oriented person, and it was just not for me. And so you were in DC for a while, um, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but you went back to Texas at some point, right? Yeah. Um, and so what made you kind of leave DC, um, leave the work you were doing, um, and kind of go back to Texas? Yeah. Yeah. So. I was in DC, yeah, 2013, and I'm not sure if anyone remembers, but there was a lot happening in the Texas uh, legislature at the time with uh, Wendy Davis, where she did this 13-hour filibuster. Um, she's a Texas senator, or was a Texas senator, and it got like national news because she stood for like 18 hours or 13 hours or something like that against some really restrictive yeah. abortion bans in Texas, because that's always happening in Texas. Um, and I had had an opportunity to either stay in DC, go to New York, uh, to actually work for a really good opportunity. That's as I think about what if I took that, um, or I could go back to Texas where I felt like I was needed more, uh, mm. than, than, you know, blue States, if you will. Um, <laughs> I had also gotten an offer to work for, with AmeriCorps at the Girls Empowerment Network, which was the organization I worked for growing up in Austin. At this point, were you even thinking about business school yet, or had that not even, you know, come onto your radar? Yeah, well, I had never met anyone who went to business school. I had no idea what business was. Um, <laughs> you know, my parents never really talked about that as a career path. Um, like, I had an uncle who who actually still runs a very successful like trucking company on the border, but that's the most I ever knew about business and. So working, so when I moved back to Texas, I was working for this nonprofit, um, doing kind of outreach and, and growth for them. But then I was, which was cool because I just wanted to learn about like the operations. How do you actually run a nonprofit that's successful, not just you know run the actual programming um, like I had done in, in in high school. And then after work, I would go work as a political organizer for. Uh, Battleground Texas, or which then became the Wendy Davis campaign, which when she ran for governor. And so I also did grassroots electoral organizing. And what I realized when I was in both these worlds, um, just doing the most, was both of these worlds ran on money. So, you know, because I looked at my nonprofit and I was like, wow, you know, we're putting on this conference and look at all these corporate logos. You know, like, what does this mean? And then I was in electoral politics and and it was 
all fundraising with really well-off families or you know special interest groups that had this overlap with business. And so at a certain point, you know, I was just so exhausted kind of being an operator in these that I was like, I need to understand the business and money game if I really want to make an impact because all of this mm-hmm. is running on money. Also, I made no money at the time. I was exhausted and was like, I there has to be another way. Like I have to put myself first too, which means like being able to make a living. You know? yes, yes. And so, um, so yeah, I just, I literally picked up like two books on business. I picked up Andrew Yang's smart people should build things. It was at the beginning of like venture for America mm. being launched. And one of my friends was in their first class. Um, and I was like, what is entrepreneurship? I don't know. That's I'll pick that up. And then I picked up conscious capitalism by um, John Mackey, the founder of Whole Foods, who's also an Austinite. And it just talked about how you can make impact through business. And I was like, wow, this is really cool. I want to learn more about this. Um, and, you know, to that point on how I found out about business school, because both of those like weren't necessarily business school paths. But uh, when I was at the Girls Empowerment Network, I met a woman named Kanisha Grayson, who was supposed to be on a panel and had to um, had to drop off. And But I saw that she had a, she was also an Austin native. And she had a Harvard MBA and a Harvard Kennedy School degree. And at the time, I was like, maybe I'll go to policy school too. And so I like hit her up <laughs> and was like, hey, I want to learn about why you chose these degrees or just learn about you. And mm-hmm. uh, it turns out she was running an admissions company called The Art of Applying. But she, at the time, I think was just like, well, I have a lot of free advice in my blog. Look at that. And I'm like, okay. And then, and I was on a newsletter um, because I mean, she's busy, you know, and, and I get yeah, it now. Totally. Um, I love how yeah. you weren't intimidated to just kind of approach her. Oh, no. I think that's so important. Yeah. So I love hearing that. I know, I mean, you know, for some people it can be. Oh, no. I'm actually so interested how... Um, you know, you talk so much about these kind of soft skills or what we consider soft skills of networking, mm-hmm. of reaching out to people, of being fearless about reaching out to people. Is there a point when you realized, hey, these, are, these aren't just, you know, things that I do, but something that is a skill set in itself and is part of business and maybe that's something I should pursue? <laughs> I think at a certain point, I really realized that. Um, because, and, and I think it really comes back to, you know, having that background in psychology. Uh, like mm-hmm. a lot of my, so I haven't gotten to like what I do, but I work in business development, which is, I feel like so much of business is just relationships, like building relationships and communication and making sure people feel heard and making sure people, you know, are getting their their challenges met. And it's very similar to, you know, when I was kind of training, because I wanted to become a therapist, where it's all kind of getting to root of root of the problem and asking questions rather than assuming and feeling like you need to know all the answers. Um, and so I think that, so, so when I eventually made the transition to business, um, I started off in account management roles because I was like, Oh, it's all people, you know, I'm just managing relationships and that's something I like to do. So Amanda, after kind of reading the blog, um, through the art of applying, is that when you, you know, really were like, okay, I do think that business school is on my horizon or what was that like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good question. So yeah, I mentioned, I, I met this woman, Kanisha, through the art of applying. And again, about putting yourself out there. Um, I knew at that point, so I, I was able to transition from nonprofit to the private sector in a way, because through the board at the nonprofit I was at, 
one of our board members was the CFO of a scale-up e-commerce technology company in in Austin. And they had a social enterprise arm that was like very unique. It was kind of before social entrepreneurship became like as in vogue as it is now. Um, and they were hiring someone for that division. So it's basically managing their relationship with nonprofits and education, educational institutions, churches, stuff, walks, philanthropic walks, stuff like that, where they just wanted a team to help manage that. And then we had certain pricing structures so that um, these people will get products at a discount. And then we'd get, but we'd get a certain margin that like would keep our, our department uh, sustainable, but then also we could take some of that money and reinvest it back into the community through kind of philanthropic pitch competitions with local nonprofits. And so it's really cool. Um, and so I, I had gotten that job lined up and I was really excited. It was gonna be my first, you know, non-government or nonprofit job. And it, I had a month in between it. And so I'd seen through Kanisha's newsletter that she was looking for an intern at some point, like a month before, and but I wasn't available. But then when I had this month off, I just emailed her and was like, hey, so I saw a few months ago you were looking for this intern. I have a month off. Can I just work for you? <laughs> <laughs> and, so, and so I worked for her for about a month. And, and I mean, it was really one of the best decisions of my life because she, I mean, she's a very good friend and mentor now. And, you know, she has a lot that she's been growing the company with. She's one of the few women of color in the admissions consulting game um, and has, is very successful at this point in that. Um, and she just kind of taught me what it was to like, not only run your own small business or what entrepreneurship was, but also just, I started learning everything you need to know to get into business school. And because I worked for her, got a lot of this really good coaching around just like how to think about business school and why people went, uh, because I feel like so much of the information about business school. And, and at that time, you know, mind you, I was just looking at two-year programs. Um, I feel like unless someone gives you that information or you're part of a program, like I know MLT has some programs for college students, you just don't get the information about what you actually need to be competitive. If you don't come from places where you're already surrounded by MBAs or your parents have MBAs, um, like you don't know about a lot of the either scholarships or prep programs you can apply for or how to make yourself competitive. So she showed me all of that. Um, and so yeah, I went into this next job and I was like, okay, I'm going to do this while I apply to business school. It was like 2015 or something at that point. Um, <laughs> and I started like going on business school trips just to like see what was going on um, at her encouragement because I had like no quant classes basically from undergrad. I took um, accounting, finance, microeconomics at community college in the evenings and mm. to, to just get some of that, that basic um basically make the argument to admissions committees, hey, you have some experience in this. I also got a data analytics certificate. Um, and that's when, you know, it got, I guess, more complicated with the business school journey. Like I heard about it. I started going on these trips and, you know, getting excited about different programs. But the biggest thing for me was like the GMAT. Like that was just destroying me. Um, mm -hmm. Like it was kind of like, I always do really well on like the reading and the writing, but like I did, I went to an arts high school. I did not, you know, I did not have good math classes or anything like that <laughs> growing up. Like I just, even on the SAT, just like very average, very, very average in math. Um, and so I, you know, I'd taken a GMAT course, then I took the test and it did not go well. And, you know, I, I mean, at this point, let's see, I was in Austin after I got that first private sector job for another 
three-ish years. And I just started going back and forth because I was like, you know, as someone who's like very much an extrovert, very much a people person, like just doing math drills by myself on the weekend, like that is the definition of my hell. You know? <laughs> um, I was so unhappy because most things in life, especially as like a goal-oriented person, as an achiever personality, you know, like I've run marathons, I led you know, corporate groups, I, I feel like generally I was used to this, like, you know, you put effort in, you get, you get something out, but I felt like as much Mm -hmm. as I was putting in, I wasn't getting anywhere. Like it just was, you know, I can definitely go more into that, but I just kept studying. I had a few different jobs, you know, I left the social enterprise organization or the company and I then like freelanced for a year. I helped my friend like launch a restaurant um, I was like a bartender for a little bit. I helped launch an incubator for black and brown entrepreneurs on Austin East side. Um, I worked with Kanisha again for a little bit of uh, doing like operations for her. And again, learning more about business school application processes and running your own business. And then I, I also joined my friend's startup as their first like kind of marketing and growth, um, employee and helped scale a coding school across four cities in Texas. And so, I was doing a lot of fun stuff and I kept just getting these jobs in Austin. But at a certain point I was like, you know, Austin's great, but I'm way too comfortable here. Um, I know mm-hmm. everybody at this point. And I was like, what, like 26 or something at that point. I was just like, wait, why do I feel like I peaked? And I'm just like in my twenties, like I don't, there has to be more. Um, and, you know, going to school in the Northeast, most of my college network was in New York. And it was something that I always felt like I wanted to do. And, you know, I kept studying, I kept, you know, getting tutoring. I tried different, um, you know, prep programs. So I was like a, in the Forte MBA program and everything. I'd study it on the weekends with my friend or my groups from that. And just still nothing was happening with the test. And I was just like, screw this. Maybe I don't need an MBA. And so looking back and I guess, you know, if someone right now listening is kind of in your shoes, what advice would you kind of give them to kind of make that decision? Like, should they sit? Should they go through their thoughts? Should they have goals in place? Should they, what, what would you kind of advise them? Mm -hmm. Right. Well, I think a lot of it starts with like where they are in their career and what they've tried, um, as well Mm -hmm. as, you know, knowing yourself. And I, I, you know, I sometimes hate this, this advice I hear from people sometimes it's like, you know, you re- really think about what you want and know yourself. And I'm like, knowing yourself is not like, you can't just put that <laughs> on your calendar and be like, Hey, this is going to be me working towards knowing myself. Um, Two to three know. PM every Monday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, really knowing myself has just been trying stuff and taking risks and then mm-hmm. sometimes falling on your face and seeing things that don't work. And then you keep going. Like it is not a linear process. And, you know, one of my struggles with, you know, higher education has been thinking that everything's a linear process and that everyone's going to be coming in with either the same preparation or that each, you know, it's like this lack of, you know, bespoke um, content or or, or flexibility that I've Mm -hmm. always kind of had this issue with, with higher education with, um, and, you know, so that's why even sometimes when I'm in the MBA, I'm just like, what am I doing? You know, like I'm still in higher education, which has been, which has been a process. And I can definitely talk about like, even though I have that perspective of, I think that I don't think um, graduate school is for everybody. I don't think everyone needs to get an MBA to be successful, but I think particularly for um, someone who's looking for 
you know, if they want to do it, because it is a very big investment, particularly if you're not getting any type of scholarship, um, is you really need to think about, okay, is it that I'm just trying to run from something and two years off is what is going to fix that? I, you know, for me, I'm in my early 30s at this point. And when I think of my 20s, so much of the discomfort there was just because I was in my 20s. And I think that people don't talk about how you know, our, you know, our generations have changed and the expectations from the world and, and different trends have mm-hmm. impacted our way of, of viewing things. And especially the, the world of work has changed a lot. And so it's not anymore like, oh, well, you really need to finish your schooling by the time you're 27, 28, because by the time you turn 30, your life is over. And like, you need to start <laughs> forming a family by the time you're 32. Like <laughs> that, you know, trending wise, that a lot of people are looking beyond that. Uh, and mm, that's, that was, you know, more of a form even 10 years ago. And yeah. you know, I thought that that's what I needed to do. Um, but as was I there, just, yeah. Was there a moment of clarity for you where, you know, you had all these expectations almost like put upon you by other people and what we expect of us. Was there a time when you're like, wait, why am I doing this to myself? I can form how I want to approach this. I can form what makes sense to me. And what was that like? Yeah. I mean, I'd say, you know, I don't think I got to this point, but but basically when I left Austin, I moved to New York with no job or apartment. Um, I, 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 the startup I was working for, I, we left, I left that because it just, you know, startup life is a lot. <laughs> and <laughs> I found someone to sub up my studio I had in Austin. And I just, within two or three months, hit up my network, got a place to live short term, and then got a job within a month of being being in New York, which was something I could definitely go into. Um, but I think it was in my later 20s when I was like 27 and I made that jump that I really, I had, I'd made enough, I'd, I'd created enough mentor relationships at that point with women, particularly, particularly women of color or had similar background as me in their 30s who were very much like, hey, you know, you create your own reality, right? Like all that stuff that these schools or whoever is telling you that you need to have this linear path you can really do what you want, you know, <laughs> and really it's about what's going to make you happy, what's going to make you come alive. And, you know, I was in Austin, I felt like I had the whole world at my fingers because I knew everyone, it's, you know, more affordable place to live. I was, you know, had the best friends of my life, but still there was something inside me that was like, but you want more and you know, you've always wanted to live in New York and you just need to do it. And so I just did it. And it was probably one of the best experiences of my life um, because it showed me that, you know, you can just jump and the net will appear, but you need to be willing to work every day to make that net appear. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and so, so, you know, to that point of like, when was that realization? I think it was doing that and just seeing like, actually, you can kind of create your own reality. Like you just need to be willing to take the risks and, you know, all those things that you're like dreading about doing you know like doing sending that cold email or you know awkwardly recording yourself you know, practice a pitch for a company or something like that all those things you were resisting are exactly the things you need to do and mm. if you do that enough you start breaking through these barriers and you start seeing you can create your own world and that is on you as soon as as i was moving to new york i literally created like this framework of like hey i need a place to live this is my budget. This is, you know, all that sent that to everyone I knew it was relevant to. Um, this, this is the type of job. These are the type of jobs I'm looking for. It sent that mm-hmm. to my network, you know, hit up my college network on LinkedIn, 
to get informational interviews. You know, so I drove when I flew up there, I was already having interviews. Um, and then through a friend's fiance, he was like, Hey, I was, I'm actually job hunting too. You know, I, I was focusing on business development at the time, uh, focusing specifically first, uh, I wanted to work in like FinTech business development had no idea what that meant you know but I was just like I don't know (laughs) finance and technology sounds cool I'm gonna focus on that and so I had a friend who had also been interviewing that space he's like oh I interviewed at this this you know little studio uh design the people are cool they're they they do tech stuff and financial stuff but it's more like people oriented uh you should check it out and so he sent me this job posting for uh a business development person at a human centered design studio. That's different than the one I'm at now, but it was a smaller one. It was like about 10 people. And I was like, mm-hmm. I have no idea what this is, but they like loved me. And they like loved the, the background <laughs> that I had because, you know, they, they worked with nonprofits, they worked with startups, they worked with governmental agencies. And I just like, I had experience in all this and I had experience in like partnership building. And, and I don't know, they, they hired me. And so I was there for about a year and a half. Um, and, and then through this, were you still studying for the GMAT or the GRE and thinking about school? Or at that point, was that put on pause? Um, I think when I first moved to New York, the first like six months or something, I put on pause. And then after I settled in, I was like, actually, I want to keep doing this. So then I took a class and then I was self-studying. And when I came to Frog, which I guess is kind of pivotal as well, um, which I can talk about you know, what we do. But that was kind of the first time that I was like, wait, I really like where I am, you know, mm-hmm. in my job and in my career at this point. I think I'm like 29 or 30 or something like that. And, and I would love to hear what you guys do at Frog. Yeah. 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 So Frog is a human centered design and innovation consultancy. Um, if you've heard of IDEO, you know, people bring them mm-hmm. up a lot. Uh, they, IDEO, I think, is very good marketing. So a lot of times people hear of them, but you know, personally as as a frog, I think that we're a little better. Um, because we we I want to see some of our focus is more on digital transformation and um and the technology side and an actual execution of some of these you know innovations that we help organizations make. And you know, we work with Fortune 500 companies, we work with nonprofits, we work in governments, startups, we have a you know a venture side that actually invests in startups that are looking for design help and um and new ways of you know company growth, and we basically use the design thinking. So I say design thinking because IDEO made that popular. Um, so a lot of people understand that a little more. But we like to say human centered design because design thinking tends to be very kind of branded around them. When really, when you look back at what design has been, you know, you could also just say design. Um, but we like to say human centered because that is where you know all the research starts is at the users perspective at the the human part of any challenge that we're looking at and you know we're consultancy so when you think of professional services it's you know usually people going in to solve problems and I'd say the difference between us and you know what people think about when you think of consulting people think of usually the big four you know the Deloitte's and McKinsey's all that which have all bought design firms at this point because they realize this is such a important part of any type of product or transformation that you're trying to make in your companies nowadays um, but they I'd say that the biggest differentiator is like we we solve through making. We don't just give you a PowerPoint and call it a day. You know, we're not just an Excel. Like we actually we have a lot of former um, you know kind of big four consultants who work for us because we do have the kind of a business design uh, strategy practice that upholds anything that we're making because we realize anything we make, yes, it can be 
you know, this this next level of innovation and something that has never existed before, but we also ground it in reality. And I think a lot of times people look at, you know, firms and they think like, oh, is this just pie in the sky? It can never happen type of thing. And it's just like, no, like I, I think one of the things that really drew me to Frog was yes, we're extremely ideative and creative and you know, I hate saying think outside the box, but we are that's our whole job is to think outside the box and you know, <laughs> come at things in a different way uh, than someone who's kind of taught in this very linear way of problem solving um, is that we base all that in reality still. Like we will still run the numbers and give you the, uh, you know, real life outlook of like, what's it going to take to make this happen? And then because we're large, we're part of, um, you know, larger company group, you know, having you know, been acquired a few times at this point, we have a bunch of company partners who can actually execute on things. So, you know, for example, I'm working on like a next generation. I mean, we do so many things like we do industrial design. So that's actually um, creating physical products. So our founder who uh, started the company out of Germany 52 years ago, he, uh, he was an industrial designer. So he actually worked on some of the first Sony projects, helped design the Sony Walkman, um, he helped Steve Jobs with the design language system of the first Macintosh computers in the 1980s, which kind of mm-hmm. got a lot of notoriety toward the firm and made us move our headquarters to, to the U.S. Mm-hmm. And, you know, since then, we're in over 14 countries and growing. I think we're going to actually double in the next year. Um, wow, and, amazing. Yeah. And so it's like we do industrial design, we do service and experience design. So it's a lot of research, understanding what people need from their products, experiences, services. And that can be, you know, an employee's uh, experience at a company that can be like a checkout at a grocery that can be, um, you know, new venture creating. So a large corporation might come to us and say, hey, you know, we, we have some data on some ways the market might be going, but we need some like actual prototypes of what this might look like. And we need this, this research that maybe we started to be validated by this yeah. more qual and quant perspective. And from there, mm-hmm. you know, our teams can be, you know, almost every team has a visual designer on there um, where we're actually, you know, we, we solve by making things. We make things visual, we make things real, we like to say. And, and I've definitely found that works very well with, you know, how I like to problem solve. I don't think everything should just be an Excel sheet or a Google doc. Um, like yeah. I, like you, you find out I mean, similar to the way that I I found out you know, my own confidence and my own like passions in life was by doing things. Mm-hmm. You know, we're we're past this stage where, you know, we just send a bunch of experts in the back of a room and they are there for six months and don't get any user research or anything. And they come out and they're like, hey, we're these geniuses. We have all these PhDs and these certifications. Now here's the solution for this thing. You know, like the yeah. world is changing way too fast for us to, to depend on that type of old school problem solving. And so yeah. mm-hmm. the great thing with human-centered design is like, we don't consider ourselves experts. We don't want to sell ourselves with experts. The experts of anything are the people who are using that product or in that, or in that experience or in that service. And if you can meet those needs, that's what's going to accelerate your business. That's what's going to get your product off the shelves or that's what's going to change your organization. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we have um, about five minutes left. Yeah. And I would love to just kind of end with hearing about you joined Frog. You're clearly passionate about Frog design. How did you end up deciding that you still also wanted to pursue your part-time MBA? So I joined Frog and I, I, I work as a business development manager for them. And 
it was the first time I was at a company where I had the actual mentors who were like above me and what I do instead of me feeling like I had to kind of cleave my own path, that there was this direct kind of line of sight of oh, where I can go with my career. And specifically for my job here, I don't have to have an MBA. It's not like I'm not, I'm going to not get promoted later, uh, you know, in business development Mm -hmm. because I I don't have an MBA. Um, For me, it's more of the long-term play. So, you know, I love Frog. I I definitely plan to be there the next few years. Uh, But I think that with the realities of, you know, millennials like me and, you know, generations around this, like we do change (laughs) jobs every few years and the market, the job markets change a lot where I wanted to open up more opportunity later, you know, and I, I could see myself, you know, at my company in the next five years, which I think is sometimes as, I don't know, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm kind of getting over quote unquote, like making two to five year plans at this point in my <laughs> life. Uh, like I have like directions I'm going to go, but I also see things can change at any minute. Um, but, you know, I could see myself com- at my company the next year. I love my my colleagues. I, I like my management. I like the projects I get to work on. I'm never the smartest person in the room. Um, but when it comes to later, I know that particularly as, you know, the first one in my family and a woman of color to be in this is that the way one of my friends put it, it's, it's opportunity capital that, you know, unless you're in certain rooms hearing about certain opportunities, you just don't know about what else is out there. And that is what I think some of the biggest return of an MBA is, is, you know, not only you get to be in these diverse rooms with you know, people from very different backgrounds, you know, cause at this point I'm, I'm, you know, in the part-time program, I'm on the, like the older side, you know, someone with almost 10 years of work experience. Um, but just being in rooms with people from, with, from very different professional backgrounds, uh, you, you know, there is the network of course, but there's also, at least from what I've seen, you get these little tidbits of information, you get these new worlds opened up to you through these conversations or through these courses, where then you can realize a new, a, a potential future for yourself that you've never imagined. So, you know, I, at a high level, know about private equity and venture capital and all of that. Um, but there are people who are so much more uh, schooled or knowledgeable of that space just because they were, you know, they, they followed a path that maybe they got on to a little earlier in their career. And I, I, for me, it's about the options later. You know, I could see myself either, you know, I, I could see myself at, at a leadership level at a company like mine, um, in which case, you know, those, that understanding of strategy and larger business helps, even though I have, you know, kind of a, a foundation as it is, I know that there's so much more out there that this will help. So it opens up that pathway. You know, I could just stay in my role forever and that will help me, you know, no matter what, because mostly what I'm talking to are executives and companies. And then, you know, if I want to start my own thing one day, or if I want to totally pivot, you know, I've thought about getting into venture capital before, or, um, you know, different types of consulting, it sets me up for that, too. So mm-hmm. it's really more about the options. Um, I realized I, I mean, to the point around the part time versus the full time is I didn't want to leave my job. And I have MBAs hit me up who want to get into my company all the time and I'm already there. And so I was just like, I, you know, I'm in a fortunate position. Um, Mm -hmm. And I eventually saw that, you know, it's, it's more for the long game. So I'm not trying to rush through it. I know I'm supposed to finish this in three years, but I'm also just like, Hey, you know, if you need to take a semester off, you know, (laughs) Um, it's a little more flexible, which is, you know, what I would ask people if they're trying to get their MBAs, is it that you're trying to do like a very, strict shift and you really need those tiers off to figure that out 
or are you in a pretty good place where you can get this opportunity where like, yes, you're getting the, the, the opportunity capital, if you will, and the education that you know, maybe you won't get in another way uh, by doing the part-time, but you're also still not slowing down your career. Um, but it's really up to each person where they are and, um, and what they want to do. That. I love that term opportunity capital. I think it encompasses so much of what we try to gain in business school. Amanda, thank you so much for joining Melanie and I today. It was fantastic hearing about your story. Great, thank you for having me.